Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, the coverage of the reopening of schools. So Labor Day is just around the corner, and we now have started to shift our attention to what's going to happen to schools across the country in the COVID era as we open or don't open. Some schools have already opened, and some of them with not so great results in terms of infections. So there's still this is still a very active question, especially in New York City, where we sit, where the schools have not yet opened and where this seems to be sort of an open question. So what we're going to look at here is sort of how has this been covered? Is the coverage reflect the reality? And do we need to be rethinking how we approach the coverage of the question? I'm thrilled to be joined today by Lisa Edmiston. She is the principal of Our World Neighborhood Charter School in Astoria, Queens in New York City. Been in that job since 2005. She also is a has had COVID and can talk to us about what it looked like as we face reopening from inside the schools. And Mike Elson Rooney, who covers education for the Daily News. Mike previously covered education for the Teacher Project at Columbia Journalism School and the Heckinger Report. Mike also gets like extra bonus points for appearing on the podcast this week because he's getting married this weekend. So congratulations, Mike. We also have a very, very special guest this week weighing in from the sidelines. My son, Zach, who is 11, going into sixth grade in the fall and is a keen uh, um, and interested observer of all this. Zach, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Dad. You're welcome. Lisa, let me start with you. So first off, just tell, tell us about your school, where it is, what the community is like, what the student body is like, and how you're thinking about the start of the school year. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. My school is located in Astoria, Queens. It's a kindergarten through eighth grade school. I'm just middle school though, so I'm sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. We are a diverse population of learners um, and teachers in our school. We speak over 40 different languages. We have families from all over the world. And so when a family says we're traveling home, they're traveling far. And yeah. we understand that and we and we love it. It's like amazing the stories that we hear um, when they come back and they share with us. Yeah. And I mentioned at the outset that you got COVID early on in the sort of wave that hit New York in, in March. Are you how are you now? Um, I feel great. I don't smell yet the way I used to. Um, but I'm physically fine. I'm mentally fine. I feel I feel good and I'm fortunate. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So tell me, when when does school start for you? School starts right after Labor Day. So what are you planning? I mean, it's a, first off, we should understand, this is a charter school. Tell us how that affects whether you are required to follow the rules of the New York City Department of Education. So we're not required to follow the rules of the DOE. We're accountable directly to the State Department of Education. And yeah. so and so is the DOE, right? So the DOE is accountable to the mayor who's accountable to the, the chancellor who's accountable to the State Department of Education. And so there are certain rules and guidelines. So we created an opening plan. They wanted it. They asked for it. And, and we have to follow it to, to a T. Um, our accountability, I would say, is closer because when we have issues or when we have to make changes, we just go right to this to our authorizers and they say, you know, yes or no, tell me more. Um, 
I think it's also important for me to say that we are not privately run. I feel like I just want to defend charter schools for a second because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about charter schools. We run ourselves. Our business office are our employees. And so we don't have like fancy people giving us fancy money um, Mm. to to run our school. You don't have a lot of headphone people running around up there. No, no, no. We just have ourselves and our amazing families. What are your plans for opening right now? What are you doing in terms of in-person versus remote? So we're doing something that is similar to the DOE. So we're doing a blended learning model where if a parent wants the child to come to school, so we've had uh, meetings with our architects who've looked at our blueprints, come to our building and said, you can have X amount of students in each class and you can have X amount of adults in this space and so on. And so children will be allowed to either come in two of the four days because Wednesday is a distant learning day where we're doing a deep cleaning of the building, or because I have a lot of parents that want their child to come in, it looks like a majority of our children will come in one day and then they'll do distant learning the other days. Um, And so it requires a lot of looking at a lot of data, looking at all of the um, spread, all the responses from questionnaires that we've sent out, making sure that my students that have IEPs they're coming in four days versus the one or their two. Um, and children with IEPs, they just learn differently than everybody else and need a little bit more support. We are constantly making sure that we have everything that we need to clean the building and that it's the right stuff, that whatever the CDC is recommending, and it's cha- it seems like it changes like every three days, but that we're making sure that we have everything that we need to keep everyone safe town hall meetings with parents and um, staff. I just had my, you know, staff just came back today. Right now we're all remote. What is the main concern that you're hearing from parents? Is it is it the safety of the, of the school and the concern about infection or is it the opposite, wanting to make sure that there will be in-person learning or is it obviously probably a mix? But I mean, what are you, what are you hearing from that? I'm actually hearing both. And so a lot of parents want their children in school, but however, they understand that there's a pandemic. So how do you, how are you keeping my children safe? So a lot of the questions are, so when the kids are getting ready to come inside, how are you making sure that they're social distancing while, you know, while we're in the building working and getting ready, the children are outside. How are you making sure that they're social distancing? What happens when my child's in school and they need a mask break? Can they just take their mask off? What if my child does not want to wear a mask? Can they still come to school? What if my child has asthma? Can they still come to school? How many breaks will my child have? So they're concerned about safety in that manner, but there's a lot of mask questions. Yeah. Um, And I think the other thing is the level of academics. They want to make sure that their children are getting a quality education. Yeah. Zach. What's your thinking about the start of school online versus in person? Well, I think like all of us, we would all prefer to be in school. But I think the teachers and the principals and the people that work at the schools are doing the best as they can to keep us um, not only themselves, but everyone safe. But you want to be there. Oh, yes, I, I do. And I but feel- you're not nervous about the virus. 
Well, it is definitely something to be concerned of, but I am not too nervous now. All right. So, Mike, talk to us about what it's like to cover this at this stage. I mean, here we are, what, two weeks out from the start of school, right? And it, as a parent, um, and I'm sure as a lot of readers of yours looking in, it seems incredibly uh, chaotic and confused. Is that is that the way it looks to you too, or or is there more clarity than we realize? I I don't think I I can offer more clarity. Unfortunately, I you know, for me, this has definitely been the the biggest reporting challenge of my life. Just keeping up with the constant stream of information and um and kind of lack of information at times with stakes that just feel so high in, in so many different ways. And, you know, I think before this, like the debate over whether to close the schools felt like just this completely new kind of level of intensity for me on, on the New York City education beat. And this is, um, I think, matching that level of intensity now over even a longer period. And so, you know, I, I think in some ways, like we are getting a ton of information. The city's putting out all this information every day. But as a reporter, it's been really hard to kind of scrutinize like, well, what does that information actually mean? How, how much can we kind of rely on, on, on what city officials are telling us? And, and how does kind of what they're saying at these press conferences match what's happening on the ground in these 1600 schools? And, and how do you figure that out in two weeks? And so it's just um, it's been a, a big challenge, I know, for a lot of families and teachers and certainly for reporters, too. I mean, you've been covering education for a while. In fact, and you're also a former high school Spanish teacher, right? Yeah. Yep. Talk to me about the level of feedback and communication you're getting with readers on this story versus any other one that you've ever done before. Is it like off the charts? Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, definitely the amount of feedback from teachers and educators is like kind of exponentially higher than than I've ever seen. Um, a lot of that's happening on Twitter, I think. And, you know, I've seen a lot of kind of activity and participation from teachers who may not like normally be super active on Twitter, but are like turning to these daily press conferences now to get like vital information about what's going to be happening in, in the next, you know, couple of weeks that, that they haven't necessarily heard yet from their principals or their leaders. And um, so definitely in terms of, of teacher feedback and kind of attention, um, this is, this has been pretty, pretty striking. How, how would you characterize the level of fear and anxiety uh, among the teachers and even principals that you hear from? It's hard. It's hard to tell from afar because you don't know whether, you know, the people that we're hearing from are just the most vocal, or whether they just represent the sort of yep. tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a number of things are true at once. Like, you know, you hear De Blasio saying that, you know, uh, to kind of tune out some of the the hysterics of of the teachers' union, and and that you know these are professionals who are going to show up and do their jobs and you know, I think to some extent that is true. Like these are, you know, people who care deeply about their work and who are, you know, are are, are going to make this work in a lot of ways. But um, 
But this is just bringing to light so many kind of longstanding things, you know, the quality of ventilation in school systems that teachers feel like they've been beating the drum on for, for years. Mm. And so for, for these things now to be kind of uh, necessary to like make schools safe or to start this reopening plan, I, I think it feels to a lot of teachers like so many of these big systemic issues we've been talking about for years are now like coming to a head and we feel like we uh, don't have the power to like stop this moving train. And so I think it is a, a scary thing for a lot of teachers. And I don't think it's just kind of union hysterics. I think they're obviously organized and, and the union's taking an active role, but, but I think there's a lot going on here. Lisa, what about, what about this fear question? And I mean, how are you dealing with your own staff? Um, and um, I guess even this, even the, the kids, I mean, how do you kind of like help people get their heads around this? Well, people are scared um, because there's a lot of unknown um, and people like my staff, they're asking a ton of questions about mask use and, 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 and cross-contamination. So if I ask a child to go to the smart board and they touch the smart pen and I give it back to them, are they wearing gloves? Are we sanitizing it? Right? Or they have scissors, right? And so I know that there are um, some of my staff is afraid. I'm afraid. And so, for instance, when I was speaking with another friend and I was explaining to her what I have to do to get ready for work, I was like, I have my mask. And I bought my, my, my goggles that the CDC recommended. So they seal around my eye, my eyes. And then I have a face shield and I'm like, if I have to do all this to go to work, maybe we should be rethinking about this not being so safe. Um, I'm even like calling Bentos funeral home so that if anything should happen to me, my family doesn't have to deal with it because who knows, right? Who knows? I don't know. Nobody knows. It's like a shooting a, a gun in the dark in a crowded, crowded place. You don't know. Um, and then, of course, there's systemic lifestyle changes that I have to make and other staff members have to make who care for older parents. Right. And so there there's a there's a there are people are freaked out. How do you think about how this is going to affect learning and and. You know, th even just this idea of a mask over your face so the kid can't see your expression, they can't see your smile, they can't see your s s frown when, they're, when you're annoyed. <laughs> um, have you, like, how, is that something that you've thought about? How are we going to counteract that? Absolutely. So our first two weeks of school are all about the social, emotional well-being of our children. And I've switched the schedule so that every morning we're focusing on the social emotional well-being of our children because this is different, right? So we, we don't just have a pandemic. We have cops killing black men and women with their kids in cars, right? So that that's kids see that. And a lot of my kids are Brown kids, black and Brown kids. They may not be African American, but they're immigrants. And so wait a minute, are they going to get that knock on the door? Right? So there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of discomfort and so in order for someone to learn in a safe space, they have to feel safe and they have to feel heard. And so we're creating a space where children can fail, where they can speak about how they feel, their discomfort, um, their misunderstandings. And then we're going to get to the learning. 
Zach. Yes. Do you feel worried that you're not going to be able to get as much out of your teachers or, you, or that your interactions with your friends are going to be weird because of all this equipment that you guys are going to have on? I mean, yeah, we'll wear masks and we'll, prop, we'll most likely be social distanced. Yeah, I have met with some of my friends and it has been a little awkward. We're trying to stay as far away from each other as we can. Um, Lisa, what do you... What do you what annoys you about the media coverage of this whole debate? Like what what advice do you have to reporters who are covering this? Call me, call a teacher, call another administrator. I I watch the news and I'm like you don't know what it's like being in a school and working with children. Children that are all different. They all feel different about a ton of different things. It is tireless work. You're constantly thinking about the students and how to make it work for them. But nobody's asking teachers. I mean, every every once in a while, you'll see a teacher or you'll see a principal. But usually you just have somebody who's like the person that speaks about any issue that's coming up. Oh, they're going to speak about bad tires. They're going to speak about education. They're going to speak about wild cats in the street. You don't know what it's like working in a school when that is what you are, that's your calling unless you've been there because it's not easy. And so my, my request, my ask would be call me or call another principal or call some teachers and get the truth. Mike, is it that easy to get a hold of people like Lisa? I mean, or is there hesitant about, or people hesitant to talk? Yeah, Lisa, I'm definitely going to take you up on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I would say in general, um, principles uh, can be uh, hard to 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 track down and and you know get to speak on the record as a reporter. Um, but there has been a real change in the past couple of weeks in the in the DOE, at least. Um, it's been really striking the extent to which principals are now speaking out. And, you know, their union is not kind of necessarily known for, for being as, as kind of outspoken as as the teachers union. And they were the ones to first call to delay school. And, you know, one of the interesting things that, that I think this is showing is is that, like, you know, with with so many of these questions and, and, and kind of uncertainties, principals are like right in the middle of this huge role of reconciling concerns from parents, concerns from teachers, the educational interests of their kids and whatever guidance is coming down from above. And in a lot of cases, it's just not adding up for them. And it's just not kind of, <laughs> it's not fitting together. And so I think, you know, you're seeing a lot of principals speaking out more than they have in the past and, and kind of putting themselves out there and, and you know, potentially at, at some risk to them. And um, that's been that's been a really interesting development, and I think helpful for reporters to, to be able to hear from those people who are so much at, at the, the crux of this question. Hey, Mike, is there a history of the the DOE taking sort of punitive action against principals or other administrators who speak out in the press against uh, department policy, or is that not usually the norm? So there is definitely a culture of kind of uh, 
uh, hesitance to, to speak to the press and the DOE. Um, you know, I, I'm not aware of, of like specific incidents of, of people, you know, facing retaliation, but that is a, a common theme from people I talk to that, that there's just a fear, especially from administrators about, you know, do you let reporters into your school? Do you talk to them on the record? Um, and, you know, I remember even like as, as a student at, at Columbia, Linnell Hancock <laughs> showing me uh, this, this uh, guidance from the principals union that, that we could show to, to principals to say like, no, you, <laughs> you do have the legal right to, to speak to reporters without the approval of the DOE press office. Uh, but there's definitely a culture in the DOE of, of going through the press office and, um, and and kind of fear about what would happen if you don't. Lisa, you don't seem nervous about any of this. Um, I, I don't have, um, we're not a union school. Yeah. Um, yeah. And anybody that knows me knows I shoot straight from the hip. My passion is to ensure that my students get the best education Um that we can create for them. I had a great education. My children, my students, yes, yeah, I'm saying my children, my students need to also have that. And so what can I do and who can I be to make sure that that continues? But also I think about my staff as being my family because I also have to take care of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lisa and Mike, it was great to talk to both of you. Lisa, best of luck for the start of the school year. Thank you so much. Uh, Mike, uh, best of luck this weekend. Thank you so much. (laughs) Zach, thank you for contributing. Welcome. It was really fun being here. So you can continue to watch uh, CGR's coverage of this question on our website, cgr.org, and through our daily email newsletter, The Media Today, as well as following us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. See you next week. 